2020, when it became increasingly clear that organized sports was going to have to pay attention to the COVID-19 outbreak, the first sport to be impacted was the NBA, when it suspended the 2020 season indefinitely on March the 11th. On March 12th, almost every other proverbial domino toppled. The NHL suspended its season indefinitely, and the NCAA canceled March Madness. It was the first time the NCAA basketball tournament had not been played since 1939. That same day, the PGA suspended its season indefinitely, and the NCAA canceled the college baseball season. The Major League Baseball season was suspended and did not begin until July the 23rd. Only 60 games were played, and there were no fans in attendance for the regular season games. In addition to college basketball and baseball, every other college team and individual sport was canceled. Universities and college football fans preach about their concern for the well-being of the student athletes who attend their schools. And as COVID-19 began to wreak havoc, they managed to maintain this false front when it came to every sport except one. The facade crumbled when they began to realize that they might not get to watch football. The result of this angst was a forced, chaotic, shortened, and illegitimate 2020 college season, the personal health costs of which we will never be able to measure. And it opened a window into the true hearts and minds of college administrators, fans, and college football culture. When the COVID pandemic hit in late 2019, the football industry had been due a reckoning for years. Neuroscience, to that point, hadn't been able to bring it about. No amount of logic or established medical science had done it. Leave it to the most unlikely and ironic source to bring the football industry and its warped culture to its knees. A microorganism. For years, the industry has been locked in what it perceives as a pitched battle with emerging medical science that tells us that football is dangerous for the current and long-term health of players. Football 
has attempted to deflect these facts and the medical science in various ways. The industry has gone so far as to claim there's no connection between football and insidious diseases like dementia, Alzheimer's, and CTE. They've gone so far as to shout down and silence medical professionals, and lately, as recently as a few years ago, their claims have begun to look and sound extremely desperate. And when the industry was fully engaged with this mortal enemy to the game's continued existence, at least in its current form, something entirely unforeseen infiltrated from its undefended flank and ambushed it. And yet, in early 2020 when the lockdowns hit, and even in light of the fact that every sports league, college and professional, was postponed, suspended, or canceled in various ways, football fans still somehow thought football was COVID-proof. They found out they were wrong. It all reminded me of the ending of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, where aliens from outer space invade the Earth and begin destroying everything in their path. Nothing can slow or contain their advance, let alone stop it. No power of humanity, no military weapon, could even dent one of their ships. The original story has been covered and retold by various people, including Orson Welles in his famous or infamous radio broadcast on Halloween 1938, and in several movies, most notably Steven Spielberg's version from 2005 starring Tom Cruise. The invading space aliens seem literally bulletproof and invincible, and then all of a sudden, they're brought to heel by the most unlikely of things, earthly microbes against which they have no immunity, slain, as Wells observed, after all man's devices had failed by the humblest things that God in his wisdom has put upon the earth. And yet, the industry and many of its fans continued to mulishly push ahead as they had since the start of the pandemic, as if the rules, indeed, as if science itself, somehow did not apply to football. We heard talk for months of football going ahead despite the worldwide pandemic. You see, those rules that applied to the NBA, the PGA Tour, college baseball, college basketball's March Madness, NASCAR, and so on, apparently did not apply to football. That appeared to be the argument anyway. People evidently thought it would all magically be over by August 2020. But as with so many things in the year 2020, people learned that they were wrong. Other observers offered early warnings of the far-reaching consequences of the pandemic and the dangerous ramifications of the wrong response. As Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger and Pat Ford noted back in April of 2020, college football's top-level programs have bathed in cash for many years now, building lavish facilities, signing coaches to bigger and bigger multi-million dollar contracts, and massively increasing athletic staff sizes. Revenues have never been greater. Giving 
is at an all-time high, and while attendance has shown a steady decline, premium seating and TV money are taking off. But the gravy train hit a snag without a timely and full 2020 season. We're all effed, said one Power 5 athletic director who wished to remain anonymous. There's no other way to look at this, is there? As they noted, it was feared that a total or partial loss of college football in 2020 would have sent some athletic departments so deep into the red that one administrator predicted even Power 5 football programs shuddering. The long-term and severe financial impacts from an economic recession, it was feared, could not only reform forever how athletic departments operate, but also could spell sweeping changes to the landscape of college athletics, from the formation of a superdivision to a new wave of conference realignment, from money-saving travel modifications to football schedule alterations, from discontinued sports to thousands of lost jobs. But these fears were the consequence of universities selling their proverbial souls for cash. When universities went from institutions of higher learning that placed education above anything else to cash-generating leviathans more eager to make money and build facilities in order to keep up with the rest, and in turn became too dependent on sports played by 17 to 22-year-old student-athletes, it was only a matter of time before they would face an existential crisis. Be careful the beast you unleash. It was not just the football industry that was in need of a reckoning. Colleges and universities faced a reckoning and a forced course correction that was long overdue. And yet, the industry, or at least parts of it, insisted on plowing ahead into the valley of death like the proverbial light brigade. This is not hyperbole either. One of the most frightening developments during the worst days of the crisis was this fact. Players who tested positive for the virus and recovered had, in fact, not recovered. Some had developed myocarditis, an inflammation of the heart muscle. The condition was found in at least five Big Ten Conference athletes and among several other athletes in other conferences. Severe myocarditis can permanently damage the heart muscle, possibly causing heart failure, heart attack, or stroke, rapid or abnormal heart rhythms, arrhythmias, and sudden cardiac death. Certain serious arrhythmias can cause the heart to stop beating. It's fatal if not treated immediately. And yet, even in the face of all of this, people were still clamoring for their annual hit of football. Much like an addict, they don't care about anyone. They don't care about the consequences or repercussions to others of playing. They just want their hit. They want it. And they need it. And they still needed it and insisted upon it, even in the middle of the worst viral pandemic in a century. The utter hypocrisy in all of this is that Many football fans that were demanding that college football go ahead for the fall 2020 
had virtue signaled to everyone else since March, telling the rest of us to get with the program, stay home, wear masks, etc., and so forth, so we could all block the spread of the disease and flatten the curve. And yet those same people continued to talk about the upcoming football season as if they and football were living in some kind of parallel universe or bubble where life continued to operate as it did before COVID. Well, those people soon learned that football was not bulletproof. In early August, the Pac-12, Big Ten, Mountain West, Mid-American, and other conferences had all canceled football for the 2020 season. But the SEC, Big 12, and ACC carried the pipe dream of a full college football season in the midst of the pandemic forward, as if doing so would really be a season. The apologist kept saying, like a mantra, that the players want to play. That should not have mattered. First of all, all of us wanted to do certain things going back to the beginning of 2020 that we were not allowed to do in order to control the spread of the virus. Second, these players are not just football players, but students. At least that's the fiction the NCAA and universities have been clinging to for decades in order to justify the fact that schools are making billions of football and basketball players that permit the schools to keep athletic programs for men and women in different sports afloat, not to mention maintain continuous building projects with new buildings on campus and stadium renovations, all so they can keep up with the proverbial Joneses. Let's be honest here. Schools use their student-athletes to make millions of dollars, at least in football and basketball. They take advantage of their desire to play. But let's remember one thing. These players are 17 to 22-year-olds. You can make them sign waivers all day long, as some reports indicated was being done. But in a court of law, those waivers would not be worth the paper they're printed on. Moreover, 17 to 22-year-olds are not an age group noted for great decision-making. We only need to consider our own time at that age to know how flighty and untethered our daily decisions were and how absolutely they were not grounded in logic or imbued with much real perspective or reflection. Sure, these kids want to play, but someone needed to be the adult in the room and step up and make the decision for them. Unfortunately, the adults were absent on this occasion. As it played out, some conferences canceled the season outright, while other conferences, after much gnashing of teeth and pressure from those who could not live without it, announced they would play a shortened season. The SEC, Big 12, and ACC announced they would play 10 games, the Big 10 would play 8, and the Pac-12 would play 7. After the inevitable outbreaks and spikes resulting from bringing people back into close proximity, many games 
were still postponed or canceled. The games that actually were played were played before mostly empty stadiums containing ridiculous and surreal cardboard cutouts of people. Several bowl games were also canceled. Many fans and observers found the season fraudulent and questioned the legitimacy of any team claiming a championship. It's estimated that each school in one of the so-called Big Five conferences lost approximately $150 million of revenue due to the COVID-impacted 2020 college football season. But the personal costs of pushing ahead with what turned out to be a chaotic and illegitimate season just to assuage the addiction of football fans may never be known. In the three months after the first snap of the season, there were 100,000 confirmed COVID-related deaths around America. Was there any correlation between the two events and the fact that fans were in confined spaces while they watched? And because we're still learning about this novel virus, the damage it wreaked on hundreds of players may not become evident for years. The lasting effects of the 2020 college season are unknowable, but for those rabid members of American football culture who simply had to have their fix, those costs are not important. As my father started to say after his playing days were done, there's more to life than football. At the time, being one of those young players myself, I didn't really understand what he was talking about because my life to that point hadn't consisted of much outside of playing football. But over the ensuing decades, I would come to fully understand how profound his words were. What is needed right now is a big course correction, a reboot, an unplugging from the football matrix. There is more to life than football. And once you figure that out, it will open you up to all the other possibilities. And you will finally know what it's like to be free of the machine. This is Glenn Hines. Each episode of the Welcome to the Machine podcast is simultaneously published on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Kindle, and Medium.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>